And I want to continue in the series, Red Letter Living. And I can't get away from these parables in Matthew 13. So I want to talk to you today about the mustard seed, the mustard seed. And uh, let's stand together to read Matthew 13, verse 31. We stand a lot in this church. It keeps you in shape. And I want to just urge you to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And Lord willing, I'm not promising, I'm going to follow him on this one, but I, I know that soon I'm going to bring a, um, a series of messages on the Middle East here on Sunday mornings. We need to understand prophetically what is happening because it is hugely, highly prophetic what is happening in the Middle East. It is Bible fulfillment. Every time you turn around, all the players that the Bible puts in place for these last days all the players on the stage of prophecy are there, and it's lining up like ducks in a row. And I'm telling you, and I've told you this in little bits and pieces the last few weeks, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 that the day will come, we will wake up if the Lord tarries and we're not raptured, and across the TV screens, we will see that there has been a huge and an awesome and a concerted attack on the part of many nations against Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, they are surrounded by those who hate their very guts, who want them totally vaporized. And it's never going to be settled until the Prince of Peace comes and takes over the earth. It'll only be settled for a three-and-a-half-year time period when Antichrist swoops in, makes a political move, and brings peace for a season. It makes him a hero in the world, but it's short-lived. And I'll go on with things like that soon. I wanted to do it today, and the Holy Ghost wouldn't let me do it. So, because somebody said to me at the beginning of church, you better do it quick while you can. <laughs> I said, well, you know, God knows. And it is very, very serious over there. There's 25,000 Americans stuck in Lebanon, and uh, no telling how many in Israel, Jerusalem. I know people that live there and minister there. So they need to be in our prayers. And I wanted to take a moment and just pray briefly for the peace of Jerusalem, and then we'll get into the Word. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord over your land, the Lord over all the earth. And Father, we want to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, you have declared that land your land. And Lord, there is no question you gave it to the Jewish people. And now, Lord, the battle is over the land, but it's really not over the land. It is over who will have the preeminence, Isaac or Ishmael. And we pray, God, for the peace of that land, that you'll send your power, your angels, minister to those people, preserve those who are looking to you from danger. And we thank you that you have everything under control. In Jesus' name, amen. And if I am going to be speaking on that, I will put it on the web and um, our front page, and, and we'll go with that. Still, that's still the red ink, because I'll tell you what Jesus said about that landmass and about the last days we live in. Now, Matthew 13, we're continuing in Red Letter Living, and I want to talk to you about the mustard seed. Verse 31 of Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying... The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Here we go, 
seeds and a sower once again. Verse 32, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Thank you for blessing your word today, Lord. We hear you in Jesus' name. Give us hearts to understand. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, we have been talking about the parables of Jesus for two Sundays now. Two parables, beginning in Matthew 13, the first parable of the sower. And I want to say again that I think every believer in Christ ought to understand the parable of the sower. Because every human being is in that parable. No matter what your spiritual condition, you're in that parable. And it's, it's so pivotal to understanding the kingdom of God, understanding that parable. And when we got saved, we were brought into the kingdom of God. So the parable of the sower is important. We've been talking about two of them, the parable of the sower and the parable of the wheat and tares. The wheat and tares, or the weeds among the seeds. Now, let me just go back and recap a little bit because I want you to understand that Jesus gave this teaching four parables right in a row in the same sitting. The Bible says that he was standing at the seashore and the crowds that came to hear him were so massive he got into a boat and launched out and he's standing out there in a boat and he's looking at this crowd and it says he opened his mouth and he began to teach them in parables. It's very important that we understand that the first four parables, the parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed, and the parable of leaven and leavening the bread were given in one sitting. Now, if I'm a teacher and I'm going to teach you four parables, I'm going to be real sure that they all have to do with the same thing. I'm not going to throw your way four different, totally different teachings and confuse you. Jesus gave the parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, the mustard seed and the leaven in the same sitting. When he was done with those four, he got up and he went into a house. And from the house, he gave four more. So keep that in mind because these parables are a continuum. They are threaded together. They are dealing with the same themes. And we need to understand it. First, the parable of the sower, remember, we looked at we are a seed sown by the kingdom of God. We have been born again, not of the will of flesh, not of the will of men, but we were born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. When you got saved, you heard the gospel, and the gospel is likened unto a seed, and it was sown in the ground of your heart. And you got saved. It saved you. You responded and said, Jesus, come into my heart. And so Peter says, you were born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Now, in God's way of thinking, when you got saved by the incorruptible seed of the Word, you then became a seed. And the second part of the parable of the sower, most people miss. That once you have been born again, you are now God's seed. Jesus said that the sower of the seed was the Son of Man Himself. And God sows you, Jesus sows you into the world. You're a seed sown into the world, sown into the ground of the world. He doesn't put you on top of a mountain in a white sheet in some monastery and tell you to sit there until you go to heaven someday. He sows you among the wicked. 
And he says, I'm sowing you so that you will make a difference. You have been anointed and appointed as a believer to be influential for the kingdom of God. And we've got to get this out of the parable of the sower. God has an investment in you. When you got saved, you became not only a saved child of God, but you became God's investment. That's where the parable of the talents comes from. One that got five, one, two, one, one. And Jesus expected a return on his investment in every one of them. So when he takes you and me as a born-again seed and sows us into our world, when you leave here today, you're going to go among people. You're going to go places that Pastor Jeff will not go because I don't know those people and I don't go to those places. That's where he's got you. So basically, you are an invader. You're an invader. God has sown you into the world to invade the kingdom of darkness and to bring light and salt, that is, influence for the kingdom of God into your world. You're an invader. Jesus invaded planet Earth 2,000 years ago. Now he's made all of us invaders. And we're supposed to, wherever we're planted, we're supposed to influence the ground around us. And so we've got to understand from the parable of the sower that first I'm born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, then I have become a seed. And the Son of Man sows me into my world and says, now bring me a return on my investment. Influence people for the kingdom of God. Pray for the ground you're in. Talk about me wisely in the ground you're in. Let my love, my joy, my peace exude and emanate from you. You are a child of the kingdom, and I have sown you into the world. That's the parable of the sower. Now, it's very important to notice Jesus warned us, beginning with the parable of the sower, that the seed sown into your heart is going to come under attack. And he says, four things can happen to the seed in your heart and can happen to you as a seed of the kingdom. The first one is the seed can be robbed away by the devil, stolen. Because he says the seed that was sown by the wayside is he who received the seed. But as soon as he had received it, the enemy came and stole the word out of his heart. You've got to understand, you've got precious cargo inside of you. And the precious cargo is the kingdom of God. And what we're going to see from these parables is that, is that the enemy knows if the seed grows in us and brings forth fruit, his kingdom is going to suffer. Darkness is going to suffer. So Jesus is telling us in every one of these parables, the first four parables from the boat, he's telling us that the seed in you is going to get attacked. So he says, first one, stolen by the enemy. But then he says the seed can also be scorched by persecution. A stolen seed, a scorched seed. You didn't know that you were going to be made fun of. You didn't know that people weren't going to hang around you anymore. You didn't know they were going to talk about you behind your back. You didn't know that you might even lose a job. You didn't know you were going to pay a price for becoming a believer. And as soon as you feel the heat of persecution, the seed can become, can become scorched. And you walk away and you become a silent witness. How come you don't ever tell anybody about the Lord? Well, I'm a silent witness. I've never understood that. Does God come and just put a neon sign on your forehead? Do you exude? Uh, does it come out of the pores of your skin? Jesus saves? No. He gave you a tongue to testify. But people who are afraid of persecution, they, the seed becomes scorched and they walk away and they don't bear fruit and they don't influence the ground they've been sown into.
But he said if those two don't work, he'll use a third method. The third method is the cares of this world, the worries of the world, paying that 401k off where you got enough to retire on, taking care of the kids, getting the kids to school, making enough money to pay those bills, getting a bigger house, getting a better car, making your way through life, keeping up with the Joneses, all of that. The worries of this world move in and choke the word and you still become unfruitful and the ground around you is not influenced by you being there because the word has been choked. So watch this. The word can become stolen. It can become scorched or it can become choked. And Jesus is telling us in every one of these parables, and we're going to see in just a minute, that the seed is always going to be under attack. Now, I got good news for you. If you understand this and you make up your mind, you're not going to be one of those three. You won't. Because the fourth thing to happen to the seed was it fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Now, listen to the words of Jesus. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. You didn't wake up one day and say, I believe I have come to the intellectual conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God, so I'm going to make a decision for Him. Oh, my friend, if you ever get to that place, what you don't know is you've already been under the influence of the Holy Ghost because no man says Jesus is Lord apart from the influence of the Holy Ghost, the working of the Holy Spirit on your life. So you didn't find Him. He found you. You didn't choose Him. He chose you. And that's out of the red ink. All right? So, so he says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And here's why I chose you, that you would go and bring forth fruit. That the ground I sow you into is going to be fruitful because you're there. Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your workplace, your life. When your life is over, you can say, I have fought the good fight, finished my course, kept the faith. And as a result, there's fruit all around where I was sown. This lady this morning had so blessed me. When she was leaving, she told me this story. She said, I went up and I laid hands on this boy. I prayed that he would be healed. And I said, that is incredible. How long have you been saved? She said, Pastor Jeff, don't you remember? I came to Christ under your ministry years ago. You baptized me when I was seven months pregnant. You hardly got me out of the water. (laughs) And I said, praise God. Because you know what that is? That's fruit that remains. Amen. Saved under our ministry. And now here she is running up to somebody in an accident, laying hands on them in front of God and everybody, and they get healed. Come on, everybody. That's fruit. She's a, she's a sown seed. And God sows us into our day-to-day life to influence people. And we'll find ourselves also being sown into situations and circumstances and sometimes emergencies. And we need to look around and go, wow, I'm not just here by accident. I've been sown here by the sower to influence this situation for the kingdom of God. So that's, that's the, the parable of the sower. Then you come to the wheat and the tares. And quickly, we saw that the wheat and the tares was another attack. Jesus said, A man went out to sow, and he sowed wheat into the ground. Good seed. It says, but from the shadows, he was being watched by an enemy. And as soon as he walked away from sowing the good seed, an enemy came in and sowed tares, weeds. And the thing about tares is that they look exactly like wheat until they're full grown. And only then, when they're full grown and matured, can you tell the difference between wheat and tares. So we saw that Satan's choicest mode of attack is to attack us by deception through imitation. The church has always been filled with people 
who come and they'll say praise the Lord and, and God is good and this and that and the other, but they're not walking the talk. They're not walking in it. They are terrors among the wheat. They know who they are. God knows who they are. I'm not going to say I know who they are. I got enough to keep up with my own life and get my own fruit growing in the, in the spirit of God. I'm not around looking for terrors, but they're there. And Jesus said that the enemy attacks and puts a terror right next to you. And that terror grows up next to you. It looks right, seems right, appears right, feels right, but it's not right. And God, the, the devil will get you to hanging around with somebody who is in church and it looks like they're walking with God, but you find out as you begin to hang around with them, hey, something's wrong here. They're not walking with the Lord. They're living in sin. They're in church, but they're living in sin. It's a terror. And if you're not careful, you'll come into a, a relationship, a friendship, or a romance with somebody who is a terror. And terrors corrupt. They corrupt you. And that's how the enemy attacks the seed. He brings a terror into your life. And you get emotionally attached. A friendship evolves or a romance evolves. And before long, you're being torn between God and them. And so you compromise a little here and you compromise a little there. You decide that you're going to have your cake and eat it too. And you hang around with the tear and you think you're going to walk with God too. And what you don't realize is it's not going to work. And the tear is tearing you down. So you got tears among the wheat. And terrors can also come in the form of messages. You can hear teaching that is not from God. You can hear teaching that is twisting the Word of God. And if you're not careful, that terror teaching will warp your understanding of God, teach you things about God that aren't true, and it will tear you down. And Jesus' warning was this. You can either have the seed stolen, the seed scorched, the seed choked, or the seed deceived. So you got to watch all these things because the enemy is always after the potential of your life. The enemy wants the potential of your life. He does not want the seed in you bearing fruit. He's after the potential of your life. He wants to quench your faith, steal your dreams, get your walk with God compromised. He wants your time distracted. He'll do anything he can to stop the promise of the seed anything and he's very crafty about it and we got Jesus here giving us example after example after example of the enemy's prime tricks and now today we come to the mustard seed so you got to keep in mind here's Jesus teaching in one sitting from the boat parable of the sower parable of the wheat and tares well he's still on the same topic so he comes to the topic of the mustard seed everybody with me today In this third parable, I see the same theme, the same theme. Now, let me read Matthew 13, 31 again, just so you can keep it in your mind. Another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Remember, common theme, God's been showing us how the Word is a seed, we are seeds, and how those seeds, we, us, our lives come under attack to ruin the potential of the seed. Now in this third parable, something is happening to this mustard seed, I see, that's not normal. 
Say, what are you talking about, Pastor Jeff? I used to think that this parable was predicting the ultimate victory of the kingdom of God in the earth. It's such a pretty picture. The mustard seed being sown, it becomes a great tree. The birds of the air are hanging around in the branches. I used to think that I was one of those birds. Tweet, tweet. I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm happy in the tree that is the kingdom of God. And and I, I just thought it was this beautiful picture. But I just don't think that it's that anymore. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I'm following the tracks from parable one to parable three. Jesus gave these first four parables in one sitting. So we got to think, what is in the parable of the mustard seed where he's carrying on the theme? Well, we've got a mustard seed, we've got a tree, and we've got birds nesting in it. Big deal. What about it, Jeff? Well, the first key to interpreting this parable is mustard seeds are plants. They are shrubs. They are not trees. I was going to bring a sunflower with me today, and I almost stopped. I saw one on the side of the highway, and I was just starting to pull over so I could pluck it and bring it. And I thought, I saw what was coming up behind me and thought, if I do that, I will not be in church. They'll find me with a sunflower in my hand. <laughs> so, so I couldn't get it. But I want you to pretend that I've got a sunflower here. Here's a sunflower, okay? We all. Now, what if I said to you, what if I said the kingdom of heaven is like a sunflower? It is at first a flower, but when it grows, it becomes the greatest of trees. And the birds of the air make their nests in it and live in it and are happy in it. You would say, Pastor Jeff, you're a preacher. You obviously don't know your plants from your trees because the sunflower is a flower. It is not a tree. Well, I, I submit to you today, Jesus Christ having made the mustard seed and having made trees did not goof up with his words. He knew what he was saying. He said, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed sown into the ground, but then it becomes a great tree where the birds of the air lodge in it and make their home in it. Now, Jesus knew that a mustard seed did not become a tree. So what was Jesus saying? Remember, he's following the same thing. Here's what he was saying. The mustard seed becomes something it was not intended to be. It becomes something it's not intended to be. Now, I hear his voice there, and his voice is saying, Church... One of the dangers of the church is going to be coming, becoming something, becoming something I never intended you to be. He's purposely using an exaggeration for a reason. He's saying the mustard seed takes on a characteristic it's not supposed to have. A mustard seed became a shrub. You can go to the Middle East and see them everywhere. They're just shrubs. The last thing they are is a big, thick, mighty tree blowing in the wind and the leaves thrashing and blowing and making that beautiful noise they make and birds lodging in the branches. A mustard seed will never become that. So Jesus is using an exaggeration to make a point. This mustard seed, which he says is the kingdom of heaven or a picture of the kingdom of heaven, is becoming something it was never meant to be. Jesus was warning, just like in the first two parables, about something that would come against God's original intention for the seed. Put on your thinking caps. I can see you. This is not a jump up and clap and shout me down message. The wheels are turning. I can hear the gears clicking. 
God gave us a brain, let's use it. We need to understand this. He was giving us a warning. Church, don't become something God has not intended you to be. The tendency of the church, I believe Jesus was saying, is going to be a tendency of the church to head towards self-exaltation, the tendency to dominate and to assert itself beyond God's will. Because here's this mustard seed, it's supposed to just be a shrub, and it's asserting itself, dominating, becoming this great tree God never intended for it to be. And you know, it wasn't long before these words of Jesus were fulfilled. Because in Mark 9, we got the disciples walking down the road, and Jesus is sitting around them, and they start to have a fight. Can you imagine disciples fighting? I'm so glad that doesn't happen now, and it passed away with the first century. Mark 9, 33, listen to this. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked the disciples, what was it you were fighting among yourselves about on the road? They were having a fight, a spat. I mean, they really got down and dirty on the road with Jesus ahead of them. And they got real quiet. Oh, we don't want to talk about it. How does he know we were fighting? I didn't know he knew we were fighting. So it says they kept silent. For on the road, they'd had a fight among themselves. Who would be the greatest? I'm greater than you. My anointing's stronger than yours. I got more money than you. My church is bigger. I've got more gifts. I'm going to be the greatest. No talks like this ever go on today, I know. (laughs) I'm greater than you, stronger than you, more charismatic than you, more gifted than you. Na, 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 na. They're having this fight. James, I'm going to be the greatest. John saying, hey, he loves me more than he loves you. I'm going to be the greatest. They're literally fighting using the word greatest. Jesus said, it says he sat down, called the 12. I can just see him. He sits down. Come here, boys. Come here. And he says to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Well, that took the air right out of their sails. Nobody wanted to be great by becoming less. Nobody wanted to go up by going down. Nobody wanted to humble themselves. They were too puffed up. But Jesus said, it's one way in the world. In the world, you step on people, you claw and fight your way to the top. You climb the ladder of success in your own strength and manipulation and wit and wisdom. But in the kingdom of God, the only way up is down. In the kingdom of God, the only way to be considered great at all is if you're the servant of all, so that if they're calling you great, you're too humble to care. Jesus was saying, the only person great in the kingdom of God is me. You're looking at him. Everybody else is a servant. There was that tendency to want to become something more than he intended or meant for us to ever be. I want you to know today, church, Jesus never intended for anyone in here to be great. He intended us to be great servants. He intended for us to be great lovers of people. He intended for us to minister to people. But there is not one person among us who is great. I saw Billy Graham interviewed on Channel 13 just not too long ago. As Mr. Graham, how does it feel to know that you've reached more people for Christ than anybody in history? He said, oh, you know, I just feel like I failed so much. What? You, you, you've never done anything wrong. There's never been a scandal. You've never done a thing. Well, I just feel like, you know, I've just made so many mistakes, and I'm just thankful that God, by His mercy, allowed me to talk to those people. But, oh, no, I'm certainly not the greatest that ever was. And 
humbled himself to the point where I wanted to reach through the TV and grab him and say, take some of the credit. <laughs> but dear aged Billy Graham knows better because Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you'd be a servant of all. But here were the disciples wanting to become a tree, wanting to become more than God ever intended. Here's another example. I love this one. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Listen to the words. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for Jesus. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah did? Can you imagine that? Who do they think they are telling you that you can't come into this town? Lord, give us the anointing of Elijah for just 10 minutes. We'll vaporize them. There'll be a puff of smoke. We'll take care of them. Do you see the bush wanting to become a great tree, the shrub wanting to become more than it ever was? You know, I am so thankful that God does not give anybody in today's church, the anointing of Elijah. Because there would be mass carnage that would take place. I mean, whole churches would disappear. Whole cities would be gone. But he didn't call us. And I want you to catch this. He did not call us to take the kingdom by force. He did not call us to coerce or push or force or manipulate people into the kingdom. He did not call us to be something we've not been called to be. We have been called to be sowers of the good seed in the ground where he has sown us. And it is by faith and love and patience and the power of the Holy Ghost that the work of God is done. It is not by the shrub becoming greater than God ever intended for it to be. It's been said that the entire message and ethics of Jesus could be put into two of his quotations. He that is greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be servant of all and lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now hold those two verses up against the church you see today and tell me if his warning about becoming what you're not supposed to be was valid. We got people telling us that your spirituality is measured by how much money you have. That's a tree. We got people forcing their religion on others. That's a tree. We got people demanding that others believe the way we do. That's a tree. Because the kingdom of God is not advanced by coercion or flesh. It's advanced by the moving of the Spirit of God and the sowing of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. That's the only way you're ever going to change anybody, including your spouse, including your children, and including your mother-in-law and father-in-law and aunts and uncles and everybody you dread coming at Christmas time. <laughs> A quick scan through church history shows that this was true. Now, I'm not going to step on any particular church, but I'm going back into church history, and i got to name a church, so I'm going to name it, but I'm not coming against it. We all need God's help. But within 200 years after the death of Christ, the Catholic Church was born. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, it took about 200 years, the Catholic Church began to emerge. By the Middle Ages, the church, the Catholic Church was so powerful that it appointed kings. 
It refused to give the Bible to the common people. It chained the Bible to the pulpit. And anybody who tried to get the Bible to the common people were martyred, hunted down like dogs, and killed. Tree. Those who disagreed with the teachings of the church in the Middle Ages, from about 400 A.D. to about 1400 A.D., those who disagreed with the teachings were taken through inquisitions, trials, and punishments. They would put you on a torture rack until you recanted what you had said and you confessed what they wanted you to confess. And so, yeah, I believe in Jesus as your body is being stretched two feet longer than it's supposed to be. I believe in Jesus. They say, okay. See, that's tree. That's becoming more than he ever intended you to be. Because you and I can't change one person. We can't change one solitary soul. It's got to be done by the Word of God, moving by the Spirit of God on the life of that person. God anoints His Word. He uses His Word. He doesn't use force. He doesn't use the sword. He doesn't use guns. He uses His Word. A mustard seed growing beyond God's plan. It happened just a few centuries after Jesus said it. The kingdom of God was being advanced through force, not servanthood, not prayer, and not evangelism. And then around the year 1095, 1095, 1095, almost a thousand years ago, a pope decided that the encroachment of Muslims into the city of Jerusalem was too much. They put together what is called the Crusades. In 1096, the first crusade with thousands and thousands of European Christians carrying banners with crosses on them were marching towards the Middle East and they slaughtered Jewish people on the way. And when they got there, they slaughtered Muslim people. And I'm the first to tell you today that was wrong. They had not been under attack by them. They were trying to force Christianity by force by flesh and not by the moving of the Spirit of God. And I see the tree Jesus was talking about. Remember, in the first parable, when Jesus said the birds of the air, it was a bird of the air that robbed the seed out of the heart of the first person, the first servant Jesus mentioned. It was a bird of the air. In this parable of the mustard seed, the birds of the air are suddenly discovered again when the shrub has become something it should not be. And it's a tree. And when the church became something it should not be, that's when the enemy got a toehold on it. As they marched into Jerusalem, blood was shed, lives were lost, and nothing was really gained by trying to force people to be Christians instead of evangelizing them. Then you fast forward a little bit to a Roman emperor named Constantine. And Constantine was headed to a battle one day. And as he was headed to the battle, he had a vision. He looked up. He saw a cross in the sky. And by that cross, he saw words that said, by this sign, conquer. And so Constantine turned around and he declared the whole state of Rome Christian. He said, I just decree that this is a Christian nation. It's like George Bush, if he came on the television today and said, I declare America a Christian nation. That would not make this a Christian nation. This is a nation with a lot of Christians in it, but I'm the first to tell you today, this is not a Christian nation. It's a, it's a nation with a lot of Christians in it, but it is not a Christian nation. And when Constantine declared it a Christian nation, it took away the need to repent. It took away the need to be born again. If you live in Constantine's Rome, you just were a Christian because he said you were. That's, that's the tree. You can't declare people Christian. 
You've got to just preach the gospel and hope they get saved. And if they get born again, then they're a Christian. But that was the shrub becoming a tree where now not only is the church appointing kings, but the church is declaring a whole nation Christian. Can't do it. It's by, not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Holy Ghost that people are born again and brought into the kingdom of God. So what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, watch out now, watch out that you don't fall into the trap of becoming something God hasn't called you to do or to be. The kingdom of God that he has called you to bring into the ground you've been sown into, the kingdom of God where he, that he has put into your heart where you're supposed to influence the ground of your life with, is not advanced by force. It's not advanced by manipulation. It's not spread by a hammer or a gun or a knife or a sword. It is spread by love, faith, patience, and the Holy Ghost. That's how it's spread. So Jesus says, watch out little mustard seeds. Don't become more than he intended you to be. Can we stand together? And I'll be the first to tell you folks, I've been a tree many times. Nobody could argue with you more than me to get you saved. In my early days, oh man, I'd grab you, slap you around a little bit, tell you you were going to hell. And you were. <laughs> but <laughs> there is a way. There is a way. I think, you know, we need wise witnesses in our day. And boy, I'd grab you, I'd, I'd get into a shout match with you. And one day the Lord said to me, don't you see yet? You can't change anyone, Jeff. Why don't you relax? I can't relax. The whole world's going to hell. <laughs> and the Lord said, I'm relaxed. <laughs> Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. And you know what the Hebrew rendering, rendering of that is? Let go and relax, knowing I am God. So, we're going to preach the gospel from this church. We're going to sow the seed all over this city of the Word of God. And we're going to go with a thousand guitars of praise. We've got Reunion Arena rented. Oh, oh, I got a praise report. I got a praise report. Tom called me and he said, I don't even know if you know this, but he said, I had dinner last night with one of the top uh, people in the sound audio arena in the state of Texas. And... Um, I told them what we were doing about the thousand guitars of praise. And they said, we'll do the sound for nothing. For nothing. Isn't that cool? Which is a, about a $25,000 gift. That's what it is. So God is making the way. And what are we going to do? Are we going to stand up? Are we going to have, are we going to have burly looking bodyguard type standing at the door grabbing people when they go out are you a terror are you saved we got a room for you if you're not no we're just going to preach the gospel and let the holy ghost just work because that's the only way the kingdom is spread any other way you're a tree huh. so 
that opened. And then July 29th, we're going to First Baptist Euless. And I'm so glad God is giving us favor with mainline denominations who know, who know we need to see a move of God. They know it. And it needs to be in the salvation of souls. So God is making a way. That's what we're going to do. And then we're going to go to bed at night and sleep knowing that the rest is up to God. The rest is just up to God. So how many of you are being a tree right now, somewhere in your life? <laughs> All you trees, get down here. No. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have been a tree so many times, just trying to make God do something. God will do something in answer to prayer. But I want to just encourage you to let it go. Just sow the seed and let it go. It's hard to do, but you're not doing any good otherwise. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that in this third parable we see the kingdom of God is advanced by spiritual weaponry, not by being something you've not been called to be. So, Lord, we just give to you those things in our life, people or situations, where we're trying to exert force, coercion and manipulation, instead of giving it to you and letting the Spirit work. Take a minute, dear friend, and just give it to God right now. And don't leave this building holding on to it.